Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur Episode 3. This podcast's purpose is to help you build businesses and make money doing something you love. And we want to do that without you ever having to go into debt. We've got a whole range of episodes, from educational episodes giving you five ways to building a business without money, to this particular episode, which is a startup story. And there is a huge amount to learn from the people who've actually done it and been successful. And having helped six to seven thousand people over the last years of running pop up, we have a huge catalogue of incredible businesses that we can all learn from. I'm really excited about today's episode. Today's episode, we're going to be breaking free with Time Trap Escape Rooms and Katie and Andrew. What would it take to become the hero of your own life? To build the business you've always dreamt of? To make money doing something you love? It's time to take control. Can we get on with making money and having fun now? I'm not doing it if it's not fun. Join the rebellion with Alan Donegan and welcome to Rebel Entrepreneur. Welcome to the Rebel Entrepreneur podcast and I have been excited about this episode for some time because today I've got with me Katie and Andrew from Time Trap Escape Rooms. Welcome to the show. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) The most British hello in the world. I love it. And actually the reason I'm excited about this podcast episode is I've had the chance to watch Katie and Andrew's entrepreneurial journey from afar. Uh, Katie came to a pop-up business school we ran in Reading in 2016, and she had a different business back then. (laughs) And Andrew came to a subsequent one, and we've watched them as they've gone out there and built time trap escape rooms over the years. And I'm really interested to unpack how did you get there, what happened, and the journey along the way and your learnings. I'm really looking forward to that. And one of the things I have loved the most is coming to town in Reading and playing your escape rooms. So far, I've managed to escape in all of them. You've not actually managed to lock me up yet, but it has been close within <laughs> seconds once. So Katie and Andrew, like, tell us about Time Trap. What is it? What actually do you do? So first and foremost, we are an escape room venue. So we design and build our own escape room games. I think... They're quite popular now, so a lot of people know what they are. But for anyone that doesn't know, it's a themed, immersive, puzzle-based experience where a team of players enter a space which looks kind of like a film set. And they're given an objective, which is sometimes to just escape the room. Sometimes there's more to it. And they basically have to use what is in the space to work out how to progress through the puzzles and either escape the room or achieve their objective. And with our games, there's always a unique objective to achieve. So we have four games at the moment. Our theme is traveling back in time. So hence the name Time Trap. So they're all historical going back to different times. So we have the Great Fire of London in 1666. We have Bletchley Park during World War II, so 1942. And we have Imaginarium, which is set inside Lewis Carroll's mind. So that's quite a wacky one. So that's, uh, yeah, Victorian times. So yeah, that's what we started doing and what we do mainly We have started branching out a little bit, but I'm sure we'll cover that later on. So how many people do you have through the escape room each week? Do you you have lots of groups? Is it busy? 
We did calculate this actually quite precisely. Yeah. Can you remember it though? So on a Saturday, six times four is 24. So we have 24 games each Saturday, roughly five people in each. So what's that? Over a hundred. It's 121 people or whatever it is yeah. per Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And then throughout the week, it's obviously Saturday's the, the busiest day. And then the weekdays are made up of corporate groups, uh, team building groups. And then Sundays is, is quite nice. It's a bit more chilled. So you get the, the nice family groups on the on the Sunday. So, yeah, yeah, it's a nice sort of cycle throughout each week. Yeah, I, I did work out the other day. I think we've had 27,000 people through our games. in all Wow. So, yeah. 27,000 people have been through your games over yeah. the last, what, four years? Yeah, well, probably the last three years, because in our first year, we didn't have our venue that we have now. So the majority of that in the last three years, and then maybe 500 in the year before that. But yeah, some of them are the same people coming back. But yeah, 27,000. That Plenty. is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you have an escape room with four different games. You have had 27,000 people through your doors enjoying your games and you have a thriving, successful escape room business. But that's a long way off when you turned up at the pop-up business school back in 2016 in Reading, Katie. Yeah. Um, why did you come to that event? Well, although I was the first of the two of us to attend a pop-up event, it was Andrew's doing that I attended. <laughs> so it's his fault. Um, it was his fault, fault yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had just been made redundant. I'd only been graduated for six months, so I was a new graduate as well. And I had been making these hand-painted lamps for maybe two years just as a hobby I just made them as gifts really and then some of my housemates at uni wanted them and they bought them for me and then I started an Etsy shop so I was making some money doing it but you know it wasn't like a living and Andrew said oh why don't you go along to this event and see if you can grow it and kind of get it to a point where you're actually making enough money from it so that was my aim and I think really what I learned quickly is that I'd have to mass produce them somehow to make enough money and painting them by hand was really what I enjoyed doing and what was actually unique about them because once you just mass produce them they're just printed lamps and then you know there's nothing special about that so as pop-up always says make money doing something you love so <laughs> I was thinking okay well what do I love and escape rooms were like pretty new at that point still but I'd been lucky enough to play a couple by then and I just thought they were brilliant I love them I had been working in interior design so that links quite nicely to the sort of set design of escape room so that was an interest of mine as well as puzzles and quizzes which I had been making and forcing friends and family to do before then already so I think escape rooms were encompassing a lot of my own hobbies so I thought okay I'll just have a go and see if I can get into that industry somehow and I actually started off trying to work with an existing company because I thought I just don't have enough knowledge in the industry and I did do some little bits of work sort of just freelance helping companies improve their designs and then Andrew once again it's it's always Andrew he's the driver of change <laughs> he said like, why are you doing this why don't you just start your own company and I said, I'm pretty confident on the creative side, but I don't really know anything about the business side. 
but guess who's doing a business degree? Andrew. So we kind of talked about going into it together. And then that was when Andrew and I both attended a second pop-up event. Mm -hmm. I remember the first time I saw you, Katie, you were in the window of the shop unit in the Oracle in Reading, painting lamps. And there was <laughs> Alistair Fee from the BBC wandering around taking videos. Uh, yeah. I remember those days so well. And you did really well out of being on the BBC and selling those lamps, didn't you? I actually did really well in the window. Um, <laughs> Just people walking past yeah. seeing you. I did sell quite a few people walking past and also other pop-up attendees also. And yeah, Alistair Fee, he was great. I think although I was first on because of the lamps, he helped us when it when it morphed into time trap as well. He was super useful again. And actually, this is a side story, but from being on the BBC, a woman sent me a letter, handwritten, and a picture of a lamp that she had, which had been damaged. And she asked if I could repaint her lamp again for her because wow. she'd seen it on the news. It was very detailed. It was actually above my ability. So I had to say, I'm so sorry, I can't do that. It was like a lifelike painting. It was amazing. But didn't she send it to the hotel we were running an event in? Yeah, she did. <laughs> she sent it to the Great Expectations Hotel that we were running a pop-up Escape room. Escape room at because the news piece had shown me painting lamps and then us becoming time trap. And so she'd seen it. There was no way for her to contact us, but she had heard in that piece that we were at the Great Expectation. So she sent a letter there for me. I think the staff were a bit like, What are you doing getting post here? Like <laughs> a bit rude. But yeah. So that that was fun. Yeah. It's unbelievable where PR can lead to when you get in the news. Absolutely unbelievable. So let's just, I think there's a really interesting piece here about building a business around something you love. You've got Andrew who loves business and you've got yourself that love set design, decoration, painting, art, creation, puzzles, games. How did that work with the combination? Because Andrew, do you actually enjoy escape rooms or do you just enjoy the business of it? Or how does this work with the partnership and doing what you love? Yeah, I think I'm not naturally like Kate. I'm not naturally a puzzly, logical type person that would automatically like escape rooms. But Katie definitely got me into them. And now we love them. I think we've done over 100 now. So, yeah, if, if I didn't like them, then I'd be doing something that, that I didn't love a lot. So, yeah, I definitely <laughs> really enjoy them now. But at the time, it was something that I enjoyed and it was something that Katie really enjoyed. And together, the sort of the synergy was quite well matched. So our roles in the business are very well defined. So Katie is very much the creative side and very much the business side. And I think because we don't sort of overlap each other too much, I think it's quite quite nice that we know where each other stands so in in that sense it's worked out really well yeah we discuss things together but the person that kind of deals with that side of the business always has the final say so there's no there's never any stalemates on decisions mm. and, and the fact that we're also a couple as well was i think a lot of people were like oh my gosh you're, you're going into business with each other and you're a couple you're going to spend like every living <laughs> like, hour together which which is almost true but the fact that we're we're still together and still in business means that we've we've done we've done okay. So no, it, it was quite a risk, but it so far it's paid off. I think it actually worked better. Like we mm. we do live our business. Like we can take breaks when we need to. We know that's important. But 
it's just nice that if I come up with an idea and we're driving to visit Andrew's family, we can just chat about it in the car. I don't have to set up a meeting with my business partner. We can do it then and there. And I think that I love working like that. I think that's been great, yeah. And now we've, we've been together longer running a business than we were before now. So obviously it's working. I love that. We'll come back to the couple item because I think there's some great stuff there about how to work together. We'll just finish the passion and why you did it bit. From what I'm hearing, you're actually working on the business quite a lot. And one of the things I realized over the years is that if you do something you love, it doesn't actually feel like work and you're drawn to do it. And I know in the past I've had the Sunday night feeling where I just dread the Monday morning and going back to work. How has that been for you? Because you've built this business doing something you love, what do you think the impact of that's been? I think we have two slightly different opinions on this. I think for me, I work when I get like a burst of energy for it, which is often because it's fun. We love it. And I think the freedom of running your own business and the nature of our business means that if I wake up and I don't feel like doing work, I just won't do any work for a bit and I'll just do it later in the day. And I often work quite late at night. I just, for some reason, get on better doing it like that. And yeah, it's just the freedom that we're completely in control. Sometimes we have to go in because we have to run the venue because one of our managers is on holiday or something. But almost always the flexibility is so great that we never have that Sunday night feeling because we just work when we want to. But Andrew likes routine a bit more, so... Yeah, I, th- I think that comes down to the, the roles we have, that like you're more creative. So if creativity hasn't struck almost, then, yeah. then you can't you can't do your bit. Whereas because I'm more the business side, I have to adhere to more the nine to five because that's when everyone else is working sometimes. And it, it does come down to the fact that I do like routine a bit more than, than Katie does. But it's also the Sunday feeling is something that we've never really had because we went straight from university into setting up a business we don't really know what that is um, so uh, I, know it a little bit. <laughs> I, I worked in a department store while I was at uni and so I know a little bit that like oh I don't want to go to work feeling but I was very lucky to have it for a very short time compared to most people I love that let's hope you never ever have to experience that or go through that I think that's fantastic this next question I'm looking for some practical advice for the audience You went from painting lamps into a shop window to deciding escape rooms are my passion. If you were to give advice to someone else about how to uncover their passion and what to work on, what would your advice be? What questions should they ask themselves? What should they do? What advice would you give? Oh, that's a great question. I think for some people, it would be easier. I think people like me find it easy because I never struggle with something to do, like having to mention coronavirus right now, but at the moment, we're so restricted in what we can do. And I know a lot of people are at home bored, struggling with things to do. I just have an endless list of things I can't wait to do because I've always been quite good at entertaining myself and thinking of projects that I want to do. So for people like that, I think it's easy. It's just whatever you feel like spending your time doing and have to not do it because you don't have time you have to work you have a family whatever that's your passion easy what is drawing you in and and demanding your time that's your passion for people who don't experience that as much it's a bit more difficult I suppose 
two things. Firstly, think back over your whole life because I know that the skills and hobby-based elements of my job, I can see that they've been in me from a young age. And so I think looking back over your life and thinking about maybe hobbies that you did enjoy in the past and giving them another go, that would tell you if it's a passion or not, you would feel it. If you can't think of anything like that, then I guess just trying loads of different things. You know, if you think you might be arty, try some craft-based things. If you think you might be into sports-based things, try those. Like, even try finance-based hobbies. I don't know, like, you might... Shock and horror, finance-based hobbies. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure there's some people that discover accounting is their passion. So, yeah, I think that's what I would say for the two different types of people. I love that advice. So what's happened now is Andrew said to you, let's set up an escape room business together. You're both thinking about it and you both book on to come to the Reading University pop-up business school, the one at Henley Business School. How do you go from this idea to launching an escape room? Like, Run me through, how did this happen? Because this is the mystical bit that I think people really struggle with, is I've got an idea, how do we make it happen? Yeah, so I think that we came to the university pop-up business school and that was really helpful, I think, in just focusing in on what we needed to do because we had this idea that we wanted to start up an escape room and I'd been doing a business degree, so you, you think I would have some some knowledge about how to start about that, but it's, it's very different doing a business degree to actually start a business. So I think that helped us sort of timeline what we should do and what we should prioritize. And that week we basically sent out a load of emails, contacted a load of people just to see where we could get started. And it was through doing that, that we managed to get in contact and get our basic first gig, which was at the, the Reading Fringe Festival. So we didn't directly contact the Fringe Festival, but we contacted a person about something else who is linked to the Fringe Festival. And she said, we can't do this thing for you, but we can give you the Fringe Festival. So that's how we basically got our first gig. Andrew's good at making contacts, which obviously is important in any business. And I'm not very good at that. So I'm really glad he is. <laughs> So as a team, you've got the skills between you. And so, Andrew, you sent out a whole bunch of emails saying, can we do a pop-up escape room? And someone said, no, but you could do one at the Fringe Festival. Just quick, you should mention the whole using other people's space. I feel as that's more it afterwards. was for the prison, so we wanted, because it was empty. Yeah, we did it twice. I, I you wanted mention- a prison? Yes. Reading prison? Yes, Reading yeah. prison. So Where do Red- you come up with that idea? <laughs> I know what, I want a prison. Well, I guess you want to lock people up in an escape room, so why not use a prison? Exactly. So there's a really cool space, a big building in Reading, which is Reading Jail, Reading Prison, which is basically where Oscar Wilde was imprisoned, unfortunately. Um, And there was a big art exhibition there in 2016, which me and Katie went to. And it was a really, really cool building. The art exhibition was good, but we were more interested in the architecture of the building and and the space. And basically it's it's been disused since they closed it down in, I don't know, 2013. 2013. Um, So we thought that would be a cool place for an escape room, basically. So we contacted the prison or the person who was looking after that space, basically saying, can we do something here? That was probably quite naive for someone who'd never set up an escape room before, never run <laughs> an escape try. room, but can we, can we rent out this prison? Uh, so they, they said no, but they said, instead, you can have a space at the Reading Fringe Festival for two days. And 
we took that basically instead so that was the next best thing for us was a space at the reading reading fringe festival so that's that was our first gig in july 2016 yeah i think there's two bits here i'd love to highlight the first is shooting for the moon we want the whole prison that's what we want you've gone right for the moon but by shooting for that moon you actually found a gem of an opportunity And I think quite often people don't go for the outlandish thing they want because they're worried they're not going to get it. And you actually said maybe it was a little bit naive to do that. But I think that naivety is actually what helped you to get that first opportunity and get yourself out there. So I guess how did you give yourselves permission or what made you think like we should ask for a prison? How did you give yourselves permission to do this? I mean, this goes for a lot of towns and cities and and whatever, but in Reading in particular, it's close to London, it's half an hour outside London, so the rent prices are ridiculous. There's not much going in in the sense of space, especially free space. Uh, So we basically went down every avenue we could to try and find somewhere that we thought was disused and not put into good use. And with character. Yeah, and and, Reading Jail is a Victorian jail. Um, It's a beautiful yeah, piece of architecture. So that had massive character. And I think that's what drew us into that. And we, we contacted a few places like that, but that was the one that we really wanted. And obviously we didn't get it, but we got something else from it. And I think I was like maybe pushing for it a bit extra, whereas Andrew might have been a slightly more on the shy side to ask, because I've always been one of these people that's not afraid to ask for things like there's nothing wrong with asking for something (laughs) you might as well just do it you know if if someone's offering something always take it if you want something just ask for it see if you can get it like there's no reason being worried about not getting it if you don't get it never mind just move on that's just my personality and I know some people find it much more difficult but it helps to be like that I think I love that Katie I think you're exactly right it's your prerogative to ask And it's the other person's prerogative to say no if they want to. But there's one thing we know for absolutely certain is if you don't ask, you'll never get. And my mum drummed that into me for younger. Oh, Um, same. (laughs) Yes. But I had the social anxiety for years of being nervous about asking. And it takes me quite a lot to get over that to approach someone. And I still get it to this day. I'm 41 years old, but I still get the nervousness I don't want to do it I don't want to do it but then now I've just learned to force myself and I have the three second rule is the rule I use if there's something I want to ask for if I don't do it with inside three seconds I know I'm going to talk myself out of it so if I think I must do it three two one dial the phone okay it's too late (laughs) it's already (laughs) ringing they've already answered I have to do it now so I found that really helps me to minimize the awkward uncomfortable anxious moment before asking is just to get on with it just do it yeah just do it cool so like the fringe festival you've got this opportunity i'm assuming you've never run an escape room at this point i had run one in my uncle's basement for my family so i'd had like a small bit of practice designing a whole game and actually running it so a very small foundation to build on but not for the general public not for the public yeah I love that. But that's how it starts is you do it for friends and family. You do it for the people you know. That's the starting point quite often. So the piece of advice there for the audience is if you've got an idea, do it for your friends and family and see what happens and just test. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. So you've done one. Mm -hmm. How do you go from I've done it in my uncle's basement 
which sounds a bit <laughs> creepy, but we'll go with it, to I've got a two-day opportunity to run escape rooms at the Fringe Festival. Run me through what that was like, what happened. Did you take a loan to be able to afford what to do? How did you get started? How did you go from A to B? One thing that was really important was making the most of what was already there. So we were given some space. Oh, it was in a basement again. I've never thought about that before. (laughs) It's in the basement of a bar called Purple Turtle in Reading. And it's a, what would you call the theme of it? It's a crazy theme. And the basement is like a dungeon. And uh, it has, has tombstones. Tombstones. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome it's really Dungeon-like awesome like chairs and part of it has little almost like enclaves to the side which have gates on them and so when we went to look at it we thought okay we have to make the most of, of what is here so we decided that we would use that enclave with the gates because we could chain the gates and lock them so that was the first thing we probably did, and we themed the game, it was set in a dungeon, obviously. So the first thing we did was make the most of what was already there, um, which is actually something we still do. When we build games in spaces, we look at the space and design the game for the space, making the most of what's there. We didn't take a loan, so we were lucky enough to have some money, just small savings. So we put in a thousand pounds each to start with. We didn't spend it all on this first game. I think we only spent about six hundred pounds to build it. And Andrew is an absolutely brilliant, like bargain hunter. So send him into a supermarket at lunchtime and he'll buy you lunch for 50p. Like he is just amazing. So he found a lot of bits of furniture we needed other props on you know gumtree ebay etc for a good price so that kept the cost down and then i don't know maybe this is naivety again but i just went for it and designed it and i was like i can do a good job of this so nothing held me back really i was just we played maybe still only maybe five other games Mm. by this point but we were just like we know how to do a good game and maybe that was really arrogant but i still think we did quite a good job we took it as a bit of practice to see if we were good enough to design a game, run it, um, have people enjoy it. So we weren't planning to make any money in two yeah. days. I think that's something that Pop-Up taught us was to test something when it's low risk. So you're not putting tens of thousands of pounds into it and then you realise that you're actually not very good at that thing that you wanted to do. So I think we we took that advice and we were like, okay, let's, let's test this out small scale first. It's only two days. If it goes horribly, then we'll try something else Re-evaluate. but, um, but yeah. it went quite well so that was yeah. that was good and andrew thought to make a questionnaire and he got people to fill it out after they played to get some proper feedback for us to learn from so that was a great idea i think that's fantastic so what we would call that a pop-up is the mini experiment you've got this idea let's do a low risk mini experiment for a couple of days run the business see if we make money see if we enjoy it see if anyone actually likes it uh, and then go from there. I love that. So the mini experiment ran. You got the feedback. You'd put £600, which is about $800, into buying the stuff to do that. Did you break even? Did you lose money? What What happened afterwards? You've gone back home. You sat together having a coffee or a tea. What happened? I think we always knew that this first one was going to be loss-making. We didn't expect to sort of make 
money off it we thought we could possibly break even i did we <laughs> it was well i think we, we were hoping it was <laughs> but yeah we, we didn't make any money off it and we didn't expect oh, to we did recoup some money though we so yeah. we had to split it 50 50 with the festival but we did make 150 or 200 pounds back so out of 600 pounds we got some back so but yeah it was more for the publicity through through the fringe we got onto the local newspaper we got onto the bbc radio station so it was way more valuable than any money at that point just because we wanted to get our name out there we wanted to get not even just our name but educate people that escape rooms are a thing because at that point there was no other escape rooms in Reading. So we what we wanted to show people this is what an escape room is. Hopefully you can expect more of this because if this goes well then we're going to try and set up here permanently. It was also a good lesson for us in that it was well not that we didn't know it was going to be tough but that it was definitely going to be tough because it was a really really <laughs> hot weekend. We couldn't keep our props there because it turned back into a bar so we had to move everything out after each time and it was very heavy and uh, and then we had an emergency and you had to walk for like a mile and a half to that key shop so things happened that we had to deal with it was a good lesson for us of the reality of what it was going to be like and the fact that we were still like well we're still going to do it set us on a good path in like mentally to do it so it was very useful in multiple areas but oh, your original question. So we had spent that amount of money. So we had about 1,500, I guess, by the end of it. And so we decided, okay, so we're going to do another pop-up game. We're going to do it for longer this time. And we're still going to borrow some space from someone. And this was maybe the hardest day we've ever had. We decided to walk around Reading personally, not to make contact by email or phone, but to personally go and visit any venue in Reading that we thought might have some space that they weren't making the most of. And so we walked miles and miles and we had no luck really the entire day until the last place that we went to, which was Great Expectations. And we owe everything really to Paul from Great Expectations, who was the man we spoke to. He was the manager that day. We gave our spiel of who we were and what we were looking for. And we did offer to rent it because we didn't want to be so rude as to say, give us some free space. <laughs> so we offered to rent it. But he said, oh, yeah, we've got this sort of room at the front of the pub. We use it for functions and things. But it was August by this point, And he was like, we're not doing anything for a while. Uh, you can have it. And for free. Paul was of the understanding that we would be bringing people into the pub that might not visit otherwise. So we're really grateful for him for having that mindset because that meant we didn't have to give them any money. And definitely a lot of people did stay for a drink or even food afterwards. So we definitely did give back to them as well. So yeah, that was amazing. And just the fact that it was the last place, it was, if only we'd gone round in the other direction, we could have saved ourselves the whole day. But so we had that amount of money left to build another game as I said before, make the most of where we were. So it was a Charles Dickens-themed game because Great Expeditions is a Charles Dickens-themed pub. And the decor of the room, it's pretty attractively done and appropriate for an escape room. So we decided to try and have multiple spaces again because most escape rooms do have that. So we had a bit more of a challenge having to work out how to construct some temporary walls as part of this game. So, yeah, we put a bit more into it, a bit more money into it, 
and we started selling the tickets for it a while before maybe maybe a month before or three weeks before so we started getting a bit of money back before we finished it just in case some unexpected costs or anything came along we were having some money come in to replenish our stores yeah it went pretty well until the day before it opened we were moving everything in and then our hire van broke down yeah that was the worst day that was maybe (laughs) that was that was also a bad day and also you guys from pop-up and alistair fee from the bbc were coming along also on that day and we were like rushing around trying to finish things that wasn't so great (laughs) i remember that day well we turned up with video cameras there was the bbc everyone was there and you two looked very stressed having only just got the stuff in um but you made it happen yeah and you guys were supposed to play a test game of it so we could see it run through but then we didn't manage to do it so we only had maybe two or three other test games which is bad practice now you need to test an escape room through quite a few teams before you open it to the public but that one did not go through those tests because we ran out of time but again learning again (laughs) lots of learning so look there's a few things i want to pick up on the first one actually is that day you went round reading asking two questions one why did you do it face to face and two how did you cope with the rejection we chose to do it face to face just because when you email sort of info at Joe's bar, you're not going <laughs> to get to the right person. I mean, a lot of the time in person, you're not going to, the duty manager might not be the right person to speak to, but it's just because you can sort of sell yourself a lot better in person. So that's why we chose to do it that way. But uh, also it's, it's less easy for people to ignore you if you're yeah. right there in their face. And also it's, you can explain your story a bit better in person rather yeah. than just trying to say, can we have some space over the phone or yeah. over email? Also, they can stop reading your email, but they can't stop listening to you <laughs> when you're right in their face unless they just walked away, which they wouldn't do. And you're more memorable. They see a face. There's a lot of reasons to do yeah. it in person if you can. Yeah. And with the rejections, I think we went out expecting most people to say, no, because obviously, like I said before, space in Reading is hard to come by. People are trying to use their space as much as they can. And a lot of places didn't have the facility to to have someone like this. So that that was fine. We were, we were expecting a lot of rejections. But I think you can only take so many before you, you do get a bit down. Yeah. And it was on the walk back to the car, we, we passed great expectations. And I said to Katie, come on, let's just try this last one. And I think... You were. Bit, we all we almost didn't go in. Yeah. Maybe I was just like. I think oh. you were a bit down because you're like, oh no, I just want yeah. to go home. And that was one of the ones I had sort of pinpointed as, as thinking they might let us in. Um, so I was sort of persistent that we, we should we should try. It. But um, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's it's definitely hard. No one likes rejection, and especially when you think you have something good that you could offer, it, it's it's hard to take. I think what I've been surprised with throughout this whole time, though, is I think I have a really negative view that things are going to be really hard. I think I've got this from my mum's upbringing. I've always been in the mindset, everything's really hard. No one wants to help you. You have to struggle for everything. So that kind of makes rejection, although maybe not easier to take, not a surprise. You're just like, yes, this is what people said life was going to be like. So. 
I've been surprised overall with Time Trap. I feel like really lucky because we actually have had way more positive happenings come along than I was expecting at the beginning. So if you set your sights kind of low and don't expect too much, you'll probably end up actually being happily surprised. That's the opposite of what we were saying earlier, (laughs) setting the bar high. (laughs) I don't know. It's a mixture of like positively striving, but not setting your hopes too high at the same time, maybe, Mm. is a good way to describe it. The Zen art of goal setting, where you set the goals high, but then don't expect anything to come back and just (laughs) relax through it. One side note before we go on is you only got rejected for one day. And it actually seems an awful lot when you think, well, you've spent the whole day being rejected, Mm. but you only went through one day of rejections to get a yes, which when you look at it like that and you think, well, can I go through a day of rejections to make my dreams come true? Yeah, actually, we're being really unfairly moany because (laughs) Andrew managed to get the Fringe Festival really quite easily. He emailed for a bit, but it wasn't a long time before he got that. And then, yeah, we only had a day of rejection and then we got great expectations so yeah actually we were very lucky (laughs) and you cannot make that up that the hotel you finally got is great expectations you (laughs) cannot make that up i love it (laughs) so you've got this space how long did they give it to you for how did that go and i'd love you please just to talk a bit about the pre-sales because one of the things we always talk about a pop-up is sell your value before you create it And it seemed like you started to do that in a way. Yeah. So they were actually really flexible. They kind of just said, oh, how long do you want it for? So we chose six weeks. Because this was August time, I think. They had a few bookings, obviously getting closer to Christmas. So we had to create it first. That that was probably about a month before we could actually, you know, ourselves get in. And then I think they had, yeah, bookings closer to Christmas. So it worked out that we got six weeks sort of in October and a bit of November. We worked out that was safe based on how long we thought it'd take us to make it. Yeah. They actually did ask us to bring it back after Christmas, but we had already started agreeing the lease for our venue. And we thought that we'd be getting into our venue at that point and that we wouldn't be able to do both with just two of us i didn't work out exactly like that i'm sure we'll cover that later i forgot the other question it was about the pre-sales the sell your value before you create it which i love so yeah we did that for the fringe in that we we obviously couldn't get in there till the day of the festival so we couldn't have set that up and then sold tickets we had to sell tickets first and in, in the same way with the great expectations we we couldn't set it up and then say, everyone gather around, there's an escape room here, because that's not how it works. It, in escape rooms in general, you do have to sell a month, a week before they actually come along. So it's hard because it's not like a product where you just rock up to a store and then you, you buy a thing. It's more of a service. So in that way, it was quite easy to sell before we actually physically created it. And yeah, that helped us a lot because I, I think without that, we wouldn't have been able to sort of make it as good as we wanted to make it. That definitely helped us create what we had envisioned, in, envisaged yeah, we wanted definitely. to create. Yeah. And we did it again when we opened our first game in our proper venue. And yeah. honestly, that time we wouldn't have been able to finish without doing it. Like we, we would have had not had a full game without doing that. So mm. that was pivotal at that point. Yeah. So yeah. I love that. So you've used the customer's money to create the product and service that they're actually going to eventually enjoy themselves. 
Yeah. yeah. And we've, we've done it for every game since. This isn't just for escape rooms, but um, I see a lot of escape rooms that will build the whole thing and then they'll open bookings and then they'll, they'll open a couple of days later. And I've never really got that because we've always done the opposite. We, we like yeah. to sort of build up a hype around it as well. We like to sort of, you know, release little teaser pictures or videos and that helps generate excitement. Um, so, yeah, I don't see why you wouldn't do that. It does make it a bit more stressful, you know, yeah on all of our games we're like stressing towards the end trying to get it finished with our most recent game we were actually really on time did lots of testing it was great so i suppose we're learning as we go along the bigger our team gets as well the more people there are to do the work and i'm improving as project manager doing less of the actual creative work and managing people so that helps but i think as stressful as it is it's important because if you don't if you have a deadline that you absolutely must meet, then you'll work quickly and get it done. If you don't have a deadline, you won't work as quickly and it will take longer to open it, longer before you can start making money. So you have to balance the stress and the calm. I love that. And I think you're right, Andrew. This actually applies to nearly all businesses. What I've seen is entrepreneurs like to create the thing, have it finished, perfect, done whether it's a service whether it's a product doesn't really matter but they build the thing then they try and sell but what you did was you sold and built as you were selling and i love that as a general thing that's exactly what we have done and we teach people to do i would never write a training course until i've sold it so i'll sell the title of the training course and i'll sell the paragraph about it if someone buys it then i'll write it and create it ready to deliver it at that date but I would yeah. never bother writing a course to then sell it afterwards because I don't know if anyone wants it. Um, yeah, you have to balance it depending on your exact business because what we do is we start building and then we wait until we've reached a point that we think might cause an issue. We wait until that's done and then we set our opening date. Like, for example, we might need carpenters or electricians to come in sometimes tradesmen can be unreliable so we wait until they have come in and done their work for definite so that we know that everything that's left to do is on us and we are completely in control of it then we'll set an opening date and start selling tickets so with the training course obviously you know you can do it so it's all on you for us and other businesses that are going to rely on third parties maybe waiting until that stage is done is sensible in certain situations. Yes, definitely. So adding in that error of margin that if something goes wrong, you've still got time to be able to deliver it for the customer who's paid. I think that's a a very smart thing. So you've got a six-week pop-up. You've run six weeks of events. Did you make money during that six weeks? Did you? Yeah, we did. Because the only cost was the cost of building it. And once we had built it, then everything else was more or less profit yeah once we've made we weren't we were keeping ourselves afloat but we weren't paying ourselves at this point we were still living with katie's dad yes my dad needs a big shout out because (laughs) he what was it like the first two and a half years of our business he housed us we repaid him in cooking dinners (laughs) but otherwise we couldn't have done it without him like our cost of living was so much lower so yes shout out to dad um (laughs) thank you dad yes (laughs) but yeah we did make money we made a good amount about eight thousand pounds and maybe most valuable thing from it was that cisco the communications company 
heard about our pop-up and they asked if we'd bring the game to some team building events that they were running. And so we did, of course, and we ran two events for them. And then the hotel of the second event asked if they could put us on their conference add-on program to offer to other businesses. So we said yes. And so then we got more business through that. And obviously corporates have a lot of money and the events that we were running were for a lot more people than just one team in the escape room. So I would say, I I don't know the, the figures now off the top of my head, but the amount that we made then on corporate team building was like a significant amount more again so shout out to cisco as well really because they also (laughs) they gave us another break really i love that and the thing i think i'd highlight there is the breaks come when you put yourself out there so you took the first step you made this happen you went out to the fringe festival you went out and found the venue you ran the six-week pop-up and by putting yourself out there and doing a good job more opportunities come and i think that I would highlight to everyone listening that you can't just sit at home and expect opportunities to come. You've got to get out there. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about that the other day because even during this period now with coronavirus, like we're still getting projects in because people know about us and they're still like during a time where we might not be making as much money as we would if we were open, that we're still getting projects in, which which is great. And that's keeping us afloat because people know about us and they know what we do is good. Yeah. So. And actually, Andrew was really, really important at these first stages of the business because he put so much time and effort into looking at how to market us properly and how to get us seen in the right places. And like, I don't even understand how to do it now. Andrew actually genuinely interested in that kind of thing and how that all works whereas I wasn't so much so he spent a lot of hours looking into how to do that properly and so it was him that got these breaks like Cisco saw us however they did through Andrew's work in that area so yeah I just made some games (laughs) I think you've downplayed your part there Katie slightly (laughs) I love your modesty Andrew, if you were to talk to a new business about marketing, what would be the top three things you would tell an events business to do marketing-wise to get going? I think making contacts, making good contacts is the number one thing to do because if you've got a pool of contacts that know about you and they know if you're well-regarded, if you've got a good reputation, if they're in a meeting with someone else, these big pool of contacts, if they're ever in meetings or if they're ever talking to someone who needs, say, an escape room or a puzzle or something that we might be good at, then they're going to recommend you. So not only are they your contacts, but their contacts, contacts will be hopefully your contacts as well. And that's what we've seen with us. Once someone knows you do a good job and once they've used you and you've done well for them, they will recommend you to others. So I'd, I'd definitely say making contacts in the right areas is key. Uh, we, we don't do much physical marketing because it's not really essential anymore. Like obviously news, newspapers aren't as much of a, th- of a thing as they used to be. So we do all our marketing online. So we, we do spend a fair bit on Google ads now. We didn't at the start, obviously, because we didn't have the budget for it. We were more focused on our own social media so keeping it all in-house but now we we do do a lot of google ads just because the market has become a lot more competitive that we we need to try and compete with the others yeah i'd say 
market the way that suits your industry and your business rather than just go into a marketing textbook and, and taking exactly what they say because it is down to what suits your business rather than what suits the general you know every business that was has ever existed um so yeah we market on google now just because that's what suits us and because people when they want to do an escape room they go online and search for escape rooms and just learning about targeting just learning about how to reach the exact right people because you've spent a lot of time really trying to tighten that up yeah i guess that's a good way of putting it is that you need to know who your target audience is because with escape rooms they are predominantly for people in their 20s 30s early 40s that's the general market and then obviously they're even within the escape room industry just in Reading, there are different companies that sort of i guess target different people we've set our prices slightly higher just because we felt we were one of the more premium businesses in in Reading. At the start, we we had the same prices, if not a bit lower than the other places in Reading. And one day we sort of realized that that was wrong because we were offering something that was a bit more premium. So we we raised the prices and it didn't hurt us at all. In fact, I think it was one of the better decisions we've made over the years, just because from there we've sort of positioned ourselves in the right category of where we want to be. And that's made us sort of continually improve to maintain that standard as well. So, yeah, if that's concise, I don't know, but we'll go with it. I think you should talk about giving our brand a personality because I think that's really important. That's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Giving the brand a personality. Yeah, again, we've positioned ourselves in that sense. Because our first gig was the Fringe Festival, I think, since then we've wanted to have a brand that's rooted in the community and so we, we've kept that up for the four years since we started time trap so we're always trying to do things within the community because that's how a lot of people will, will see you and if they see you're doing good whether it's through charity work or just getting involved with, with different things in the riding scene then they're going to know of you and then they might not know of the other escape rooms but they'll, they'll have heard of time trap and if if someone says do you want to do an escape room this weekend where do you want to go they might know the name time trap and that'll be, be recognizable to them so i think our brand personality is is deep rooted in the community and i think that's where we, where we want to stay yeah and it's extra important because people have to come to our venue to buy our service so the community is even more relevant for us because our customers are only from a certain radius around us or visiting that certain area. So it's even more critical. I think, you know, international online-based businesses need to find their community, which is not necessarily geographic, but for, for us it is. And also, I think people really love social media with people's faces in it. Like we have us sometimes in our in Time Traps post, our team, customers, because that helps a lot. I think when people can see other people, mm. that kind of gives the brand personality even more fullness. Especially when they're, they're escape rooms now that are big franchises and they've got millions of, you know, they're on the stock exchange and whatever. So we, we need to try and differentiate ourselves a bit more. And we focus a lot on the independent side of things because that is a differentiation from the from the bigger escape rooms. And we see ourselves as more almost like a craft beer compared to a Budweiser. Not not disembudweiser, but yeah. 
want. <laughs> but it's a very different product to craft beer to a Budweiser or a Heineken or a mass market thing. So I love that way of looking at the difference between you and other businesses. So look, one thing I'm really interested in is how did you go from a six-week escape room and running some corporate gigs to getting a permanent venue? Because I think a lot of people's dreams is the permanent venue. They want the permanent shop, the restaurant, the whatever. And they tend to try and skip all of the steps you took to jump straight to the permanent venue by borrowing money or investing a lot up front. But it seemed like you got a huge amount of learning as you went by doing the two-day fringe, the six-week pop-up, the corporate gigs. And you took maybe a longer route, but it sounds like it was a far better route how did you actually transition to the permanent venue? And do you think that route actually helped? Yeah, no, I, I think the whole time, the, the fringe and the great expectations and taking it out to corporates and hotels and conference centers and, and whatever, I was looking online pretty much every day at, you know, new listings for commercial property in Reading. And again, a lot of them were way, way too expensive. And we knew we couldn't commit to a massive lease because we were still, we had tested it and it had worked, but we still weren't in a position to, you know, invest thousands and thousands. And, and thousands. we didn't want to. Yeah, we didn't want to. We didn't want to have any debt. Um, or or a, such a huge risk. Like we were still yeah. just upping the risk of it at a time. Mm. So we eventually we managed to find this property on Friar Street in Reading, which turned out to be our, our eventual permanent venue. But it was somewhere that was a little bit run down. It hadn't had much love over the years. It was a bit weird because it, it wasn't open plan. Obviously, a lot of offices weren't open plan. It was lots of little rooms. It didn't have a shop front or even a door yeah. on the street. It had a side door. So in, in a lot of ways, it wasn't perfect. But at that time, it was it was perfect because it was exactly what we needed at the price point that we were willing to commit to. And so we, we went to view that in October, November. We actually viewed it not long after our six-week pop-up started mm. running. And it was great. And then I think pretty much straight away, we started negotiations to you know take out a lease. And it wasn't until March 2017, so about six months, seven months later, that we got that venue signed and, and we got into it. We were a little bit unlucky. There were just hurdles that came along during the agreement of the lease, like unexpected events, not to do with us, but to do with the people involved, which did delay it a bit. But I managed to design our whole first game during that time. So as soon as we got the keys, we were like ready to go immediately. So that helped. Andrew probably did get a bit restless then. He Andrew is probably found that his hardest time because he was talking about getting another job and things like that. But we managed to have this thing where when one of us is a bit down, the other one isn't. So there's always one of us keeping positive and picks the other one up. So we've never had a stage where we're both down and we just give up. So that's lucky. I think it's worth saying that we decided we were confident enough to take this venue on and we did put some more of our own money in at this point because we had that option, which we were lucky to have, but we could have continued doing some more pop-up games to raise more revenue. Anybody that doesn't have some more of their own money to put in could do that and it worked. We just cut down the time a little bit because we did luckily have that option. So yeah, we put some in. As I said, we did start selling the tickets for the first game before we opened. 
we didn't want to put any more of our own in. We put some of our own in and then we started selling tickets to make up the rest of what we needed. So we did a balance and it worked well, luckily. So what's it been like having your own venue? Do you enjoy having your own space and your what you built? Yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> looking back at the pop-ups, like Katie said earlier, it was a lot of, we're not the biggest people, especially Katie. So lifting a lot of heavy furniture and props going into different hotels pubs you know wherever it was was a lot of hard work for two little people a lot so of manually hard work yeah so i think we when we actually got into a space and we just put the props in and they stayed there for <laughs> years and years afterwards i think that was quite nice uh, i did get really quite strong though and now i'm not strong again <laughs> but uh, yeah i couldn't have carried on doing that i think having a permanent venue came with some new stresses the biggest challenge there was not knowing what you don't know it's really hard to try to find out the things that you should know there is help out there for that but that was yeah that was probably quite a big challenge I think something that's worth saying is that the escape room industry in the UK well in the world but in the UK is really friendly and collaborative so we were able to connect with other escape room owners who are majority independents like us and learn from their knowledge that they already had because we were were there about 100 before us roughly there were roughly 100 or less escape rooms in the country before us so people were you know one two maybe three years ahead of us so that was a good resource for information like that and obviously it's different for different industries some industries are so much more established that it'll be much easier to find support but hopefully anyone starting a business whatever the industry will be able to find some resource like that for that kind of support because yeah that was a bit tough I love that okay so sometimes people are nervous about working with their partner and Katie and I have worked together at Pop-Up and people are always surprised. Like, you work together? You live together? You spend how much time together? What has it been like working as a couple and business partners? And what have you learned about how best to work together? I think the first thing that really helps is that we honestly just have the same opinions about so much stuff. And I guess if you're in a relationship with someone, then you, you should be sharing you know, opinions in at least most areas or some areas. So we're lucky enough to have that. Because we've split the business in half so precisely, we actually wrote out all of the like roles within the business, put them in categories and then split those in half between us. Like we have a document of it. So we set that out really clearly for ourselves. We set the fact that the person who is in charge of that area has the final say but we still respect each other's opinions and we'll have discussions about things and we'll see the value in what the other one is saying and understand that that is actually the right thing to do or you know I know Andrew has more knowledge in certain areas so even if I am worried about it I'll just say okay I'll trust you on that and same likewise like the theme of our most recent game Andrew was really worried about it he was worried the theme wouldn't sell and I just really believed it would and so he just went with me on it and it's probably our most popular game 
So what do I know? <laughs> I couldn't think of an example like that on your side of things. But honestly, anything to do with marketing, because I just don't know about that. Like sometimes I'm not sure, but I bow to your better judgment. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's worked well as well, just because what Katie said earlier is that when owning a business, especially at the start, there's going to be a lot of tough times. If we were both down at the same time, say roughly when we started it and we were like, oh, let's just give up that we might have given up. But because someone else was always there being like, no, come on, let's keep going. I think that's helped massively. If that wasn't the case, I think things might be different. But yeah, it's it's worked. It's worked well somehow. And you have to remember that you like and care about the other person. Actually, this is advice for any argument, not even just running a business. But there's no argument that's more important than your relationship, business or otherwise. So in really stressful moments, like when we're late getting a game ready that's opening really soon, like we have had arguments and normally not even major things. You just have to go away from each other for a bit of time and remember that what you're arguing about it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of the success of the business and your own relationship yeah and i think the number one reason why it's a good idea to go into a business partnership with your partner is because you can trust well hopefully you can trust each other 100 (laughs) percent with any decision we make we we trust each other completely we trust that we're not lying or covering up something whereas I know people who've gone into partnerships with other business partners that they don't know as well. And it's not worked out because of that exact reason. You don't know when when you can trust someone or when someone else is lying, whereas we know completely. Yeah. And also to build on that, we are in exactly the same position. So we make decisions about like what we earn together and it's equal if you had a business partner that was in a totally different position, you might find conflict in that they want to earn more, but you don't want to pay out that much. It's yeah, that's also a big help. It it makes our personal lives easier to balance with work because we have each other. So if one of us wants to like see some friends for once, then the other one (laughs) can work that Saturday because we know that it will swap back another time it's just really equal. So I think there's honestly loads of positives with being in business with your partner. Mm-hmm. I love that. And one of the things I would definitely highlight that you've done very, very, very well is right at the start, defining the job roles, defining everything that needs doing and splitting them between you. I think having such clear delineation of the different things that need doing in the business is smart and Yeah, I applaud you for what you've created and what you've done. It's fabulous. It really is. And talking about what you've done, Time Trap is an incredible escape room. Where are you going next? What's the future for Time Trap and Katie and Andrew? Where are you going? So we've started doing some more projects that are not just in our venue. So the lady who first gave us the Fringe Festival slot, as Andrew mentioned, conducts are really important. She's been like a huge help and a fan of us. So she has basically commissioned us to make events for Reading Town. So we did one at Christmas and I believe there's another one in the works. Don't think I can say much more than that. So we're also doing something for a wedding. So puzzle-based challenge to be part of somebody's wedding yeah so they're they're the external projects and then that's what we're working almost, on at the moment 
going back in time is that we're creating a takeout game, a game that we can take out to corporates, to hotels or wherever they may be, that they can do on-site rather than come to us off-site. So it's almost like we're going back to our roots and transporting pop-up games out to, to them. So but it's quite nice in that way. Be, this time they'll be actually mobile and not heavy pieces of furniture. Well, things they are we can, quite heavy. <laughs> things we can actually carry. Yeah, we're doing that so that we can cater for larger groups than can come to our venue. And then we're also, because we've been on our in our venue for three years now there's the potential that our section could be turned into flats so we're we're not sure if that's going to happen but there's planning there that it could happen and so we're trying to safeguard ourselves by finding another venue rather than them kicking us out we want to be ahead of it be ahead of it um so we're currently searching for a, a second new venue which we're in discussions with someone over um our discussions have been paused but we're hoping that will happen i think our landlord letting us know about the potential for it to be turned into flats kind of was a catalyst but that having happened we actually realized that we'd quite like a new venue because our venue has its limitations it was great at the start but now we're in a position to have something that works better for us mm -hmm. i love that so all the listeners, where can they find out more about you? Where can they book on to come to one of these escape rooms? Tell us. Well, they can find us at www.timetrapescaperooms.com. <laughs> and we're also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at Time Trap Escape. But they can't book right now. <laughs> yes, we're on a temporary you. pause until after lockdown and then we'll be back. Yes, yes, exactly. I also would really like to just mention that our team are so brilliant and we really try to look after them because we know how important they are. And anyone starting a business that gets to the point where they do have a team behind them, like really don't undervalue them. Because if we were to lose our whole team now and go back to just the two of us, like we couldn't do it. It, it would be awful. So we try to reinvest in them a lot and show them that they are important. And the more you do that, the more they will care about your business, not as much as you, but closer to the same amount as you do. And they'll they'll do better work for you because they want your business to succeed. And that is definitely a piece of advice that everyone needs because that is very important. I love that. Thank you, Katie. That's awesome. Andrew, any closing thoughts from you? No, Katie, Katie just smashed that one, didn't she? <laughs> she smashed it out of the park. Uh, so to everyone listening, uh, my wife, Katie, and I have been to Time Trap Escape Rooms. We've played nearly all of your games except Station X. The pop-up team have been there for some of our away days and to play the games. We absolutely love your escape rooms. We can't wait until you open again and to come back and play more. And just to say... Your journey and what you have done has inspired us. Thank you for coming on the show, telling everyone about what you've did. You're fabulous. Good luck in the future. And to everyone listening, get down to Time Trap Escape Rooms in Reading in Berkshire. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I have been so impressed by Katie and Andrew and what they have built. And it's been a privilege watching them over the years do that. Here's the brief summary of what I'd love you to take out and take away from this episode. And I think the one, if there was one thing I'd want you to take, it's Katie and Andrew's ability to make things happen. 
Now, they might have come to a pop-up business school. They've done all sorts of different things, but they were the ones who did it. So they just got out there. Andrew immediately started emailing venues asking for space. They got out and went round Reading. They just went out there and did it. And that's one of the biggest differentiators that I have spotted over the years is the difference between someone who will tell you everything and why it can't work and the person who just does it. And it sounds crazy, but I think one of the biggest differentiators between successful people and not in this world is the ability to make things happen. And they just do it. They went out there and found a venue. They did their first two day one and Katie just built the escape room and did it. They got feedback. They learned. They went at it again. They borrowed a space for six weeks. And I think that's the bit I'd love you to take from this is they just did it. If you've got an idea, if you've been thinking of a business you want to run for so long, you just need to start and do it. Do a mini experiment. Try it. Test it. Launch it and see what you can do. And that is the way you're going to learn and build the more successful business. And you can probably tell over the course of the four years that Katie and Andrew have been running Time Trap, they've learned all sorts of lessons and ways to do things, including not to have heavy furniture in their mobile games. And they've put that learning into practice and then grown and developed. So what I would like to challenge you to do at the end of episode three is to do something. I want you, if you've got a business idea, to start, to test, to launch the website, to try and pre-sell the tickets, to give it a go. Do it in your uncle's basement for your family. Just start. That's the difference between someone who's successful and someone who's not, is they start and they make it happen. So you just need to get going. You need to take action. That's what I want you to do. The next episode, episode four, I am super excited about. We have Sean Jenkins, who founded and built Benefit Focus, one of the largest software companies in America, and we'll be talking all about his startup story. So come back for episode four and please do leave us a review and a comment about what you loved about this episode. Get out there, make it happen, start building your business and let us know how it goes. Thank you. You've been listening to Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get new, fresh episodes as soon as they've launched. To stay up to date with the rebellion, visit choosefi.com slash rebel. Thanks for joining the rebellion. You've been listening to The Rebel Entrepreneur with Alan Donegan. If you got value from today's show, please subscribe. And if you want to binge listen the season and access the next episode ahead of time, you can go to choosefi.com slash rebel.